Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Could we, uh, can we get that going, please? Need, it, need from right the so that's it, huh? Star. We're some kind of that's amore. <laughs> We're some kind of amore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is amore, and this is Try Love. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's a literal roundtable podcast about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Get tickets and showings and other cool goings on there at the Trilon at Trilon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. Uh, I can't sleep anymore. It's too much like death. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I have a feeling this is going to be just delicious. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I ain't no freaking monument to justice. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. We fucking did it. Everybody's here. Nobody's missing. 100% of the crew is available and ready to record. No, that's mean. Uh, Aaron is actually living the Mediterranean dream right now. Uh, his so mother is, is dying, so he's in Palermo, uh, Sicily. <laughs> that's uh, more. He, right. he, and, he and his wife will have to get divorced in order for her to stay alive, so it's just going to be a weird thing until his mom gets old enough to die. But uh, that is where our fourth member is, is at this week. Uh, we wish him the best. Uh, it does mean, however, that I will need to take over the summary. I'm going to vamp a little bit with a description of uh, where this movie fits in the Trilons programming. So this film, uh, I know it's not our usual um, standard, but uh, it's going to be Moonstruck. Uh, you've probably noticed from the episode description anyway, but uh, I should say that it is uh, kicking off the Nick Cage National Treasure series at the Trilon, which is a summer long run of 13 of the most iconic performances in the career of one Nicholas Kim Coppola. I did not know that his middle name was Kim, uh, aka Nick Cage. Uh, get your weekly Cage fix, and I did write this out, starting with today's film, followed by Bringing Out the Dead next weekend, then Face Off, Snake Eyes, Con Air, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Raising Arizona, Leaving Las Vegas, Drive Angry, Red Rock West, Valley Girl, Wild at Heart, and closing with the men, with you, excuse me, oh man, with the Greek directed Mandy, Panos Cosmatos, Greek guy. It's wild that we have two previous episodes in that slate that you just listed out. Yeah, we're going to do them all again, right, fellas? Definitely, uh, we're gonna especially kill a Valley Girl episode. We're going to relitigate uh, that because we... I don't know. We're, we're all we're all smarter. We're all better now, right? I mean, Yeah, you're going to like that movie as much as it deserves to be liked. <coughs> Correct. Uh, uh, raise your rating from a three to a four, you son of a bitch. <laughs> that's right. Uh, no matter what happens. Also, we should say that um, for the, the cage, cage myth, I almost called it cage myth. That's a Flophouse <laughs> thing in other podcasts. No free plugs. Um, for the summer of cage... Um, if you go to all of those, if you attend all 13 of the Cage movies, they will give you, um, well, when you go to the first one, they're going to give you like a punch card. And when you get all 13 punched, they're going to give you a really sick Nick Cage poster. So um, if if you have an inkling to go to the Trilon, those would be pretty good ones to go for. Go Just to saying. all of them. It's 13 yeah. movies between now and I guess the end of August, if I remember correctly. And it is, uh, it's going to be a blast. Uh, you should look forward to watching them at the Trilon. And then shortly thereafter, you should look forward to listening to us talk about them uh, on the podcast because we've already gotten a few interested folks who I hope can come through for guesting spots. I won't say any names because I don't want to put them on the spot if it doesn't happen. Nick, 
Anytime you want, buddy. I know you're interested, and we're here for it. Get his ass. Uh, but look forward to that. Um, you can actually, speaking of, we're, if we're publishing on time and you're listening on the day we publish, you can still catch this movie uh, at the trial line, I believe. It's still playing through Tuesday. So check it out. Uh, if you're, for some reason, listening to this on a Tuesday morning, what better do you have to do? Uh, but- also, if if uh, if you never went to a movie in your life and you were only going to go to one movie in a movie theater, um, it would probably, like, do this one. I this think. one, this one does deserve it. Yeah. Uh, are yeah. these on? Are these on film or is this one on DCP? Uh, it has to be on DCP. I, if it was on, I believe Moonstruck is thirty-five millimeter. I'm going to lose my no, fucking wait, no, mind wait. right Son now. Son of a bitch! It's on thirty-five millimeter. Oh my god! That's a moray. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! My mouse. Where's my mouse? <laughs> it is indeed uh and because our own amore aaron grossman is out uh on sabbatical i have to do the patented aaron grossman summary as licensed by aaron grossman enterprises uh but harry feel free to jump in this is one of your favorite movies if i get something wrong or if i mischaracterize please stop me in my tracks make me do the whole thing over again because i just slapped this together this is moonstruck it is a 1987 film directed by noren jewison and written by john patrick shanley uh loretta played by Cher, a neurotic italian woman in her mid-30s is set to marry johnny played by danny aiello uh, a neurotic italian man in his mid-40s even though she doesn't really love him uh she meets his brother ronnie played by nick cage and falls into a whirlwind romance that starts to crumble her very idea of what she wants from her life moonstruck was acclaimed at release and is considered a classic romantic comedy having won three academy awards including best actress for Cher, best supporting actress for olympia dukakis as her mother and best screenplay for john patrick shanley and it is a favorite of the podcast one that we never thought we'd get to talk about an embarrassment of riches here at the trial on this year from satoshi Kone to godzilla to moonstruck i am obsessed with the pro- programming schedule this year john you're doing it up and the rest of the team you're doing it up i can't give it all to one man that's the definition of fascism but harry <laughs> definition of fascism or no what did you think what do you think about this having played at the trial on give me your you're, you're the man here all right uh yeah well i'm glad you brought that up right because i feel sort of embarrassed to be on this episode right because like <laughs> yeah we, you we, love we a movie and you off, hate being on the episode about it <laughs> we just came off of godzilla and we had satoshi Kone earlier we're just hitting all my like all the hits um and maybe maybe if you're somehow a listener, but you don't know me super well, you wouldn't have known this. And maybe it'll surprise you, but I don't think anybody who actually listens will be surprised. Um, I think this is my favorite movie, um, or at least it's like movie number, like top five, top three. Um, yeah, uh, I'm fucking crazy about this movie. Uh, every time I see it, I cry a bunch at a bunch of different times, always at different times. This time I cried um, for the first time when the woman put a curse on the plane. Because that scene is so so good, um, but yeah, I, it's a. I think it's the most romantic movie ever made. I think it's a movie that is like about love in all of its forms. And whenever I watch it, I come away with a sort of like renewed, refreshed, ferocious love for humanity and humans' capacity to love one another. Um, I find this movie like deeply, deeply personally inspiring. Um, and it's maybe my favorite cage performance. Um, yeah. And yeah. he's one of my favorite actors. Um, all of my favorite actors are in this movie spoilers because of this movie, I guess probably, but like John Mahoney is in this and he's unbelievably good. Olympia Dukakis and he have more chemistry than anybody in history. Isn't um, it nuts how they don't end up together? Oh, it's that that scene is so good. And um and Vincent Gardini is so good in it. Um 
Cher absolutely deserved her Oscar. Uh, Olympia Dukakis, of course, deserved her Oscar. Uh, Cage probably should have got nominations. I don't know. Give this thing everything. Best picture. It should win best picture this year as far as I'm concerned. I'm fucking crazy about it. Uh, but I want to hear what you guys have to say as well. Yeah, uh, let me just rattle off. I have to agree with everything Harry said. I don't think I watched this before you ever did. I think you must have seen it because I remember getting your recommendation before I actually watched it. But I've actually watched it twice this year because I introduced my roommate uh, and former trial of uh, guest Seth to it. And he also loved it. I don't know if I know anybody uh, personally, or at least I haven't seen anybody in person who hasn't given this at least like an estimation of, oh, that's a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 movie, which I would accept a 9 out of 10 because everybody's hearts are different and everybody's hearts need to be able to be fixed i.e. this movie, but... Um, or, or if you're my girlfriend, Kelly, uh, she thinks it's just fine, I guess. Ugh, um, you got so. to get on fixing that heart, man. Um, but it is... I, I am continually stunned uh, by how... I mean, everything that Harry said, it's impactful, it's affecting, even like to sort of people who consider themselves jaded, even to, even to the internet generation, it is like just an incredibly affecting movie. It also is very, very effortless in that. Like almost any other movie that does the things this movie does that has the story that this movie has would end up making it a little bit too. And I hate to say too sentimental because there's almost no such thing, but like, I feel like drowning in sentiment and saccharine ideas of love would probably like snuff this movie's punch a bit. Um, but it's like so incredibly well-written to get around that. It's like every delivery is really on all of the staging and every, like formally it really marries with that idea of how do we, tell a really sort of sappy idea and end up in a pretty sappy place with it feeling very real. And like Harry said, just like sort of renewing your faith in, in ability of humans to love and connect with one another. Um, and I don't know where the magic is there, but I, I have to assume that it's uh, like a combination of all of those, of all of those pieces, you know, just very, very tight writing, very good. I can think of only one small part of a scene that feels like, Oh, why is this written this way? I don't know if you guys would agree, but um, yeah. I'd what agree. scene? Uh, it's, it's when it's right after Loretta first meets Ronnie in the bread shop and Ronnie like storms off and Loretta, Loretta follows him. And then the attendant girl, I forget her name at the bread store. She's like, <laughs> I, you know, I love that man. And, uh, but he'll never know because he sort of can't get past because his, he lost know, his girl Chrissy. in his hand. Right. Which is Chrissy, very, yeah. it, it is very like in retrospect, it's comedic in the moment it's shot. Like she's weeping and the woman next to him, I think that one of the people who runs the store uh, is sort of like consoling her. And it's like, I, if this is supposed to be funny, I'm not getting it. It is wild. It's so funny. I laugh my ass off at that part. Maybe I need to fix my heart about that, but that felt like, I guess his whole outburst was the moment where I was supposed to realize that he can't get past his past and he's too traumatized to like truly love again. And he's got a grudge and all that. And then she just sort of says it. Oh yeah. And like, oh, 100%. Well, this, this movie is way too well written for them to have per- like without purpose, just given her these lines. Cause she doesn't show up for the rest of the movie. It's not like right. she becomes an important character. Um, so maybe, maybe I need to, I guess realign my sights on that one, but like otherwise yeah. stellar. Yeah, no, I, that was a line that stood out to me this uh, this rewatch as well. This is only my second time seeing this movie. And I think like if, if we need to, I mean, Aaron's not here. So somebody needs to like get in and like rank some shit. But I mean, I'm probably if I like, I think literally I'm going by letterbox metrics. I'm a half star beneath you guys. And I think I fully anticipate every like year or, or every two years for the rest of my life, revisiting this and like soaking up more and more. This is definitely like it, craves to be like reevaluated and revisited. I love being in this space so much. Um, but that was, that exchange was something that stood out to me this time. And it, it, it kind of 
at least uh, it stood out to me. And I, I, I tried to rationalize a lot uh, of my experience watching this movie this time around. And that sort of sequence, I mean, it, it's, uh, I believe her name is Chris, Chrissy, right? Just being like, uh, you know, he could never love anybody because he lost his hand and his girl. And like uh, on, on the surface, that is, I, I agree with Harry, that is hilarious. It's maybe it got the biggest like uh, um, outward reaction from me during this this watch just because of her delivery and the way it hit. But it was also like, you know, this is um, different people respond to that sort of thing differently. And this is in a lot of ways, like, you know, and everybody's experience and, uh, and feelings are valid sort of movie. And like, it's oh, yeah. it, because of that, it's hard to um, and me again, just going back to rationalizing, I, I got thinking about like, how is this movie so good? Why is it so good? And the sort of things that I was scratching and pawing at were like, you know, it, it, uh, not to get hung up too much on, on genre <laughs> ever since I did that, that one episode of noties, like I can't help, but just like, Oh God, I hate dipping back on these waters, but it's like, it's, you know, I, I think the two main pieces would be like, you know, it's, it's a romantic film and it's a comedic film, uh, despite at very often, um, coming off, uh, on the surface as like very anti-romantic or, um, I invented the uh, in my head just the term neo-romantic. I don't think that's really a thing, but just like mm. kind of leaning away from the things that would typically um, like, uh, uh, you know, leap across like, you know, the stepping stones to get to, to this point. And like this movie doesn't really do that with uh, the most crucial. Some of the most crucial scenes with with Ronnie and Loretta are when they're apart and we're sort of with Loretta, not necessarily like getting a look at her interiority. She's not vocalizing a whole lot. And I feel like that kind of goes against a lot of the romantic sort of tropes and trappings. And like, same with the comedy, the, and I think that just kind of comes down to, to the rhythm of it. I, I do think that scene with Chrissy is one of the handful of scenes where it's like the scene is timed to lead us up to this sort of delivery or, or this, you know, bit of, uh, of impact. Um, but, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of those sort of moments that I found myself laughing at weren't really sort of timed in that way. It is just a movie that exists that is very funny and very romantic. I think the first time I watched this, I said something in my little write-up on Letterboxd about it being like very lived in. And I think it is kind of getting back yeah. to your point, Jason, uh, tough to like put into words that sound smart and good about why this movie is so good because it is so effortless. Um, it just sort of like exists and it feels very real without getting into like contrived nuances of like, Oh, this is like one of the best romantic comedies of all time, which like it is, but also it's, it goes above that. I think. Yeah. I actually really like this as a place to start our conversation out because like, I think that that joke characterizes this movie's approach really well, which is that like, I think that one of the the many tightropes that this movie walks is that it is patently absurdist and hilarious without being condescending. These are ridiculous people. This is a movie that is populated by ridiculous, overwhelmed, moonstruck people, right? Um, We are both supposed to think that that is patently hilarious. This is supposed to be a deeply comedic movie, right? Like you don't put Nick Cage in this movie doing that speech if you're not trying to be funny. Um, But at the very same time, at no point are these people's ridiculous overreactions and and sort of amorous intentions supposed to be anything less than um, completely... Thank you. Uh, I was was aiming for that. Um, Completely... Uh, resonant and relatable. And in fact, we're supposed to sort of, I mean, if, if you want me to get really film bro about it, like I think we're supposed to have the sort of transformation that Loretta has in this movie yeah. where like we are supposed to be reopened and reborn to the 
inherent ridiculous absurdity of our own emotions and of love in general. Um, I think what this movie does is essentially like reframing that and reteaching you that, that like you can't actually, you're helpless about those feelings, right? Like in the end, everybody has something that they're moonstruck about, right? Like not to get again to sort of like 9,000 feet up, but, um, and, and like, I think that a lot of the, uh, the humor and comedy contributes to that. I, I always think about this movie as like a real masterclass in world building, which is such a, it's kind of a weird th- way to say that, but like you really are ensconced in the Italian American community of the 1980s in New York, in this movie, in a way that feels totally invisible and effortless to the point where like, it, it's silly because of how over the top this movie can feel, but it can feel documentary like sometimes, right? Like it, the characters are so, well realized and so drawn from actual history and culture and that history and culture are such a big part of what this movie is doing and who these characters are and they you can tell they're thinking about it like that's something that that lives and breathes right. in every well, scene like even at the very end the final shot being of like is oh a- they're going back through the ancestry of the uh what is there uh, the the family name Castorini yeah the Castorinis I I uh, guess yeah the Castorinis and then the Camareris are uh, Ronnie and John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess just like to your point about how it makes it part of like it's endemic to the to the you know the community the, the people there. Not, I mean, when I see the end, I think they're showing us that generations have gone through the same thing that Ronnie and uh, Loretta just did, and that Rose and. Um, Cosmo Cosmo just did, you know, like, and uh, Loretta and Ronnie will probably do the same, go through the same thing that Cosmo and and Rose just did just like, like like cyclically, you know, that people will learn, people will like adapt sort of thing. And and that, that scene follows what I think is maybe the most touching um, moment or, or exchange in the entire movie, right? Where Cosmo says, there comes a day when a man learns his life is built on nothing. That is a bad, crazy day. And then Olympia Dukakis looks at him and just says, your life is not built on nothing. And like, Ooh, that is such a show stopping line and performance for me. Um, but, and then we see what it's built on, right? It's like they, they reframe and recharacterize this history, which can feel sort of like, um, repressive and oppressive and sort of like frightening, right? Like a lot of the tension of this movie is in fear of um, how other people will think of them, right? Like they're avoiding each other uh, as a family because of their respective dalliances or imagined dalliances. And, um, but by the end, that judgment, it disintegrates, right? And, and these people come to see one another as, the flawed and loving people that they are. And it's implied for me, at least in this sort of like very operatic um, grand scale reframing that that is the process that all families go through. That is the process of, yes, that is exactly 100% Amore. Harry is so pissed right now. (laughs) No, I love it. Uh, that's I, you could just play that over and over again, and it would be the entire episode. Really, I mean, you know, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about fucking Amori. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's pissed so much as he's just you know Amore. But uh, yeah, I, I the the way not to like just immediately jump to to the end of the movie. That is, I think one of the standout scenes, and it, it kind of gets to um, a couple things that both you guys have been talking about. Uh, in that, 
you know, a, everything sort of comes together at the end and it's in a very, in a very like matter of fact sort of way. It's uh, the main characters all come together and basic, it, they just kind of talk through and, you know, the, the sort of, as you said, Harry, the, the tension that, um, that stems from the, the fear and apprehension that, um, people have in engaging with one another and, um, telling each other how, how they feel, which I, in a lot of ways, isn't really an issue with this family because of how straightforward and blunt they are and because of how straightforward and blunt the red is. But like for, for these, you know, specific handful of things, everybody comes together and it's, it's just, you know, over the course of 12, 15 minutes, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the oldest, I guess, sort of patriarch in the family is like, Hey, Cosmo, I've sort of been floating through this movie, but like one thing's for sure you are paying for this wedding. That is your obligation. And like no bones about it. Like that's done deal. And that scene right there too, it's like you think that he's going to say, oh, your your wife is having an affair, right? You think that he's going to bring up the fact that right. he saw um, Rose with um, with John Mah- Mahoney's character, Perry, the professor, Perry, the professor. Um, but instead, there's like that great turnabout, right? Where he yeah. actually just recommits and doubles down on the validity and sacredness of his family. And throughout this movie, we've been, it's, it's been like a bomb. He's been waiting to drop, right? Like in his introductory scene, he says, my, I'm angry with my son because he won't pay for my daughter's wedding. I have to find the right time to say this to him. Mm-hmm. And then he picks right after like this, very emotional like exchange (laughs) he's just like he like fucking throws down the gauntlet and he's like you know what like this is it and like you're going to do this and it's this sort of double recommitment back into the family and back into the identity that um cosmo was sort of in the process of rejecting because of his own ego and fragility and fear of death as his wife loves to point out yeah right and and it's immediately after then i mean and like it's it's the fact that he's the one to call out or to call out what he did when he did like that is very um like it's perhaps the best route that they could have taken with that i mean it that's it's so important and then it's also important that immediately after that it's um it, it comes from rose herself i mean basically you know like hey stop seeing that woman so just yes. like okay we're just we're checking boxes as we go these people i mean in the most direct way possible you think of so many um lesser movies and probably copycats of this movie that would try to create conflict out of the sort of like avoiding confronting somebody about the thing or like oh there's a misunderstanding about this thing like um uh a, 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 the you know grandfather the patriarch I'm, I'm blanking out on his name but like that guy misunderstanding the situation and then that leads to like a half hour subplot about like right, right. he took it the wrong just like we're very direct about it it we're again not talking down to the audience not talking down to these characters of the story um you know we're gonna we're gonna tell johnny the truth we're gonna you know clear up the issue with the deposit which was never really a conflict to begin with it was just sort right. of like a fun fun little red herring to have and like just, just like a way to get those characters in that scene and i, I, I love that exactly. so much i, I love yeah. fucking i, I I love those characters so much. And I was going to say, like, I'm really glad that that Chekhov's gun of the bank bag was like the only reason it exists is to get them in that room and have them react yeah. to what's happening. Oh, man. Anyway, I, don't I mean think uh, Louis, Louis Gus or Louis Gus, uh, who plays Raymond, um, uh, Olympia Dukakis's characters, Rose's sister, our brother. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he gives one of the most affecting performances that I've ever seen. In oh, this the, movie. the Cosmos moons, like the yeah, evening that, time, the, the, like his speech is, is wonderful, delightful and like very impactful. But then when they're in, like they're alone, it's the Reed bedroom. And, Raymond, and, and he, and she says like, in that moonlight, you look 25, you look 25. years old. And like, 
you can see as the audience, he doesn't look 25, but it's like, oh, you see what she's seeing. And he gives this little impish grin that seems yes. like somebody just like put a handy cam in front of him when he didn't it realize. Fucking melts it my heart. It literally made scene. me cry. Like tears yeah. left my eyes. This t- And it, it always does. But It always good, does. Good oh. God. Well, and, and also like, I love that you brought up subplots, Cody, because it's like, okay, instead of the comic misunderstanding subplot, we get to have the Olympia Dukakis and John Mahaney like extended subplot, mm-hmm. which is like, arguably the best part of this movie in a movie that is like full of really amazing parts. Um, I don't actually believe that because I'm such a sucker for uh, Cher and Nick Cage, but uh, you could be, you could, you could make the argument. You could make Amore. I'm just doing it now. Forever. <laughs> you could make Amore. I, I don't know if I would agree, but I do like that. I mean, as an extra 10 minutes of say, you know, Rose says she knows herself. Let's take the time to actually explore what that means. And this, you know, little kid from er- this little kid professor from earlier is in fact just like a little, a little kid professor. He's you, you, get the get the hell out of here. Yeah. Well, what, but what is it that he says? He says. Um, uh, so sorry, you, you triggered it again by saying my own. Um, <laughs> sorry. She says, I'm too old for me. That's my predicament. That is the line that stuck with me through multiple watches for his character. I I feel like we're spidering in a lot of directions and I want to get to one idea. Yeah, no, you have had your hand up for a while, right? I I, I wanted everybody to know that was not (laughs) accidental. Uh, But what Cody was saying about like their um, like comfort in communicating how that like it is great for sort of cutting off uh, miscommunication at the past, like. Hey dad, you need to pay for the wedding kind of thing. Or son, yeah, I need to pay for the wedding kind of thing. And it's like, it feels like that is where not the tension, but like the possibility of something to go wrong sort of ends with the Olympia Dukakis, John Mahoney thing, because she says, she looks at him. She looks at uh, her father-in-law as he's walking through the room and Danny Aiello, Johnny is in the room and like, he doesn't know about the, you know, the indiscretion that her dad has witnessed. And he passes through the room and looks judgmentally and he says something wrong. And she says, my father's got this, this wrong idea in his head. And then like, not until he comes into the room and there's the risk of him like revealing it to his son, to Cosmo. Do you think about that again? Cause it's just like, oh, well that storyline is done. She knows herself. She has made it very clear. And like, now we have another story to move to. And not that like it disappears, it's still important, but it's like, this isn't, I don't know, this isn't like taking up a whole lot of space in the movie. I think it's very economical in that way. And I think that it's attributed primarily to the way that they communicate. But at the same time, that bluntness you were talking about that like um that straightforward bluntness has blunted them in a lot of ways i think it is what partially contributes to loretta's own feeling that like she's resigned to a loveless marriage that she is the right like the way that she's grown up the way that she's lived sort of the expectations she talks about where she's like she got married at 28 and that was late for her that was like an ex beyond the expected the expected date of her to get married and then you know tragedy strikes and she's left without a husband and stuff like uh she enters the loveless marriage that's supposed to like ensure her future, but she doesn't like, um, you know, show any resistance to that. She's very like, she has compartmentalized it through like the way that she talks about marriage, the way that her family talks about love and like how you're supposed to go through life. That to me is like, if there's a secret sauce there, it's like, like Harry was saying, almost a world building through the characters of how they've communicated for her 30 some years of life, how they've like, how they talk about love, how they conceptualize love. Uh, and that being like, not to like move to another discussion point, but that is the 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 fissure, the crack that that uh, Nick Cage comes into and just explodes, right? No, yeah, that's that's a perfect transition, right? Because I think the other thing that this movie does, from sort of a formal structural perspective, is we meet Cher's character Loretta 
meat. <laughs> um, only uh, like post sort of transformation, right into this person who, and we later learn out learn as we learn more about her, it is a defensive overcorrection. But she is a very practical person, right? She works in a mor- mortuary. She does the books for the mortuary. She, um, what's so funny, Cody? Did I mispronounce? I, 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 I was just going to type it in. That's the a mortuary. But, but yes, yeah, yeah. that's a mortuary. Very good. Well, and, and like that is like it says directed by Norman Jewison, like next to a dead body, right? Like, so it's it's very important that we establish it that way. <laughs> yeah. um, she has these conversations with her mom that are delightful, uh, but they are very clearly like these are the twin matriarchs of this family, mm-hmm. right? Like they're keeping things together. She has resigned herself to this very practical, very logical um, existence where she doesn't love the man that she marries. Uh, she admits that to her mom. Her mom says that's a good thing because he won't drive you so crazy. Um, this is the life that she has chosen for herself. Later on, when she's talking to Ronnie, before Ronnie's bigger speech, she says that like that has become very important to her, right? Like that you can change your life. You can Maybe I have a, a natural inclination that makes me want to destroy myself, right? Because that's what love is. That's what amore is. Oh, he's not going to. I got I have two different screens. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's One fine. No, it's, active it's, I, I appreciate it. Um, but she says you can change your luck. You can change your character, right? Through effort. So she's been running from this. And that's where Johnny enters the picture. Or I'm sorry, Ronnie. Um, but it's, it's like really important to know all of the ways in which um, her own story is parallel to the story of every one of her other family members, right? Like even this is a big Cosmo movie, right? Like this is a movie where Cosmo, although he's not a major character in the traditional sense, has a character arc and his character Mm -hmm. arc is exactly what um, Rose says. He's afraid of death. And in the process, he thinks he's lost something or he thinks he didn't actually ever have something. He is going through this existential crisis that, Maybe he didn't have the the love he thought he had. Maybe his life didn't mean what he thought it meant. Um, and that in this movie is something that all of these characters are reckoning with, right? Like, uh, or um, Ronnie is said he was dead. He said he was making bread and and only living in the past and living in bitterness. Uh, and it turns out that of course. Cher, Cher's character was also living in the past, living sort of in this this half-life dead state. Um, and it's they find one another and all of that shatters, right? And it shatters for everybody uh, over the course of the next like two days. That's another funny thing is that this movie takes place <laughs> over like two days. It's, it's wild. I didn't think about that. Like time yeah. only really matters when it's nighttime and you see it's the moon. It's super strike. funny. Yeah. Well, and, and like very, in that very last scene, they're like, Oh, you you were so weird when you came to the store yesterday. And it was like, oh, that was like an hour and a half ago in movie time. But it's called anyway. economic writing. That's right. That is right. And I'm looking forward to this movie being on. I mean, I think, Carrie, you had been to that trial on all night marathon for movies that take place over the course of an evening. Next step up, movies that take place over the course of approximately 48 hours, give or take. Another reason to to screen this movie. Um, just floating that out there, John, I know you're listening. Um, he's not listening, but, uh, I, I think the, um, what, what each of you said, um, Jason about, um, the sort of like the emotions of, of these characters feeling, uh, in practice somewhat blunted, um, and, uh, the uh, practicality that Loretta exudes, um, that you were talking about, Harry. One thing that I got thinking about 
revisiting this movie was how much, especially the early framing falls on things like superstitions and like, oh, that's bad luck or, you know, or, you know, we, this needs to be found upon better luck or good luck or good fortune or or something like that. And, um, you know, for as, yeah, as blunted as uh, the emotions of this family feels, I, I almost think, and I could be completely off pace here, but you know, the, the fact that they, have found this sort of this specific means of communicating this avenue of chalking things up to, to like what is quote unquote bad luck and the sort of superstitions that dance in between kind of channeling uh, uh, their emotions through, through those specific vessels. And like for as practical as Loretta is, and you know, she is, you know, like literally an accountant or, you know, she plays things by the numbers, but she does allow herself the ability to feel intensely, but only through, um, at least in the the early acts, um, through through the lens of like it's bad luck to do this. You you, you got to get down on one knee. You got to have a ring. You got to do this and that. You know, maybe that airplane. Well, I I don't believe in curses. I'm gonna look at myself in the window and uh, and kind of affirm that with a funny little head shake. I I like that gesture a lot. But um, the yeah, and kind of what uh, as it's been said, Nick Cage showing up does sort of blow. A lot of that um, out of the water, you know, these people who are affording themselves out emotionally and spiritually and stylistically, you know, like lifestyle was uh, lifestyle wise, Nick Cage coming in, (laughs) Nick Cage coming in, Ronnie coming in. That's his character's name in the movie Uh, is not named Nick Cage, which is sort of a bummer. Um, But Ronnie comes in and he sort of says like, well, actually, no, fuck that. You don't need to afford yourself any outs. You can just embrace the stuff that like makes you feel good, even if it also feels bad or weird or like you've you know your lineage um based on your perception of your lineage maybe you think that like you deserve you know yeah you probably should have been happily married by now and yeah your spouse shouldn't have been hit by a bus but hey that's amore and you've gotta you gotta you gotta embrace the shit that feels good now honey that's how it works um, what you just said it really resonates with me because that's that was the next point i was gonna make about the fact that like that superstition and luck um channeling especially in the first act it is exactly an out right like it's it's just what you described it's a way for particularly loretta's character to make her own life something that doesn't belong to her right like it's something abstract it's something that she can sort of point to an external locus of control about and say like okay well i have to do this i have to do that because of this sort of nebulous luck and my own feelings need not really factor into it because that's not really what i have learned that's not really what life is about and not really what i can affect um which which is interesting because like there is there's this really interesting sort of trauma through line in this movie as well right like that sounds very a24 but um like loretta's basically learning to move on from the life that she thought she was going to have and then never will never be able to have right like she was living in this hauntological uh take a shot world yeah i don't where, have a sound clip for that but i should like yeah, a, she is, she is a person who is defined by what she should have had right just like ronnie is the difference mm-hmm. is that ronnie is well in in his own way running from it but also like at least sort of owning his emotions um if not the sort of consequences of his actions whereas 
uh, Loretta is sort of the opposite parallel, right? Where like she is owning the consequences, but she's running from her emotions. Um, and one of my favorite things mechanically that this movie does is that they make each other see what they can't see themselves, right? Like, uh, like Loretta says she's telling Ronnie his life and nails him to the point where he falls in love with her immediately, right? Because she talks about the wolf and the biggest part of him is a wolf that has no words and the wolf gnawed off his own hand to escape the wrong love, right? And it, as she's telling him that she realizes as Ronnie will later throw back at her that she's also talking about herself, right? Like she is a person who waited for love and fundamentally, despite her sort of um, allusions to the idea that she can overcome that natural part of herself, she doesn't have any interest in overcoming that. That is like the core of who she is as a person is this person who believes in love above all else wants to go to the opera, wants to transform into this beautiful person. Um, one little note, uh, one of my favorite romantic parts of this movie is when uh, Ronnie helps Loretta take her jacket off at the opera and sees her dress for the first time, and he just says, thank you. It's, <laughs> it's so good. It's like, man, that is a simp to the end, and you'd love to hear it. Uh, that brings up a point that I hadn't really thought about before. Like, most romantic romantic comedies are built on well, I mean, when it's one person and another person sort of meeting in the middle of each other, uh, it's like how in what ways must this person change in order to become more palatable to this other person? You know, like a really rough person sort of finds their uh, emotional center; they get back in touch with things. A really like um, emotional person finds some structure and some control and stability, and that's where they can sort of meet in this sort of. Uh, uh, heteronormative middle ground of romance, right? This movie, it doesn't feel like it ends up there. It doesn't feel like it it leads us down that path, but like the characters are pretty clearly defined, like the wolf and the bride, right? Like that whole monologue that he had, that or dialogue that they have in his apartment while she's cooking him steak. And it makes me wonder what, in what ways, like clearly Loretta goes through a drastic change in her whole concept of how she like really sees love and what she wants from it and like how she's going to pursue it in the future. Uh, what on the other side, I guess, how does then Ronnie sort of change? How does his outlook and his life change as, as a result of uh, like his interactions with, with Loretta? Well, he sort of, um, he moves on like the opposite parallel journey, right? In some ways where it's like he thinks that he's owning his feelings in a way that uh, Loretta won't and can't, but he isn't really, right? Because he he refuses to move on. Like he would rather mm -hmm. stay in the bitterness and the regret, which is in and of itself that same sort of distancing out that he's giving himself that um, that Loretta, that Loretta is yeah. giving herself. Like, like she's named it, like she's given it up like she's come to terms she with fucking it. She throws it in his it. face. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And it's, it's again, it's ironic, right? Because it's like Loretta, you're doing exactly the same thing mm. in your own way. Um, I really liked what you had said about transformation. Um, the, uh, I believe it's the official essay that's on in the criterion collection, but it's, uh, Emily Vanderwerf, um, the trans writer who works at, uh, Vox now, I believe. Um, she did a, a really remarkably good essay about like, the the way in which this movie is such an interior journey for Loretta and how the two big scenes, I think 
Cody, you mentioned these scenes, but the makeover scene when she's alone in her house in front of the fire. And then when she's kind of like walk of shaming, but it turns into like a walk of like bliss and um, it, which is, which is a really powerful scene. Both of them are, and they're both about like a fundamental shift. Right. And it's, it's just the opera scene is another really good example. And another example where there isn't dialogue, where like these people, like when they find the emotions that they really like have felt that they were repressing, um, the whole world like comes back into focus and makes sense again, right? It's like uh, it's like a misogyny less um, punch drunk love or something, right? Where where it's like all of a sudden like these people they find love and they all of a sudden like music makes sense to them, right? Art makes sense to them. The moon makes sense to them. <laughs> That's amore. That's amore. Thank you for that. Uh, I will cherish the ability to press that button anytime we can. Um, so we haven't talked much about, uh, I mean, we've talked about all these characters, but like specifically Nick Cage, let's talk about the man of the hour. Um, I think, I mean, like it's not a hot take to say that he is like really perfectly cast, but when I think about why he's perfectly cast, it's because of his ability to fly between emotions without like getting to a center of it until like prodded to by somebody else. Like he feels like it's somewhat self and confident character. Um, and no matter what, what he's doing, like he is all over the place until somebody like brings him to a center or shows him as we just discussed, uh, Loretta doing like that character brings something to him that sort of pulls him toward like a more grounded understanding rather than just like flying away with his emotions as he does in the first scene of his, intro- his introduction. Um, like, and that is what makes him such an interesting character to be an agent of chaos for this movie. Like the fact that he's supposed to be centered, that he's supposed to be like uh, becoming more, I guess, realizing what's in front of him sort of person. Uh, but his function in the story is to explode something for somebody else is to like ruin what Loretta thinks is the re- like the rest of her life romantically. Um, what did you guys get out of his performance this time? Um, yeah, I think that this is a, a really good example of an amazing Nick Cage performance in that, like, I think it characterizes something he does really well, which is this, like, total unerring earnest commitment to absurdity, right? Like, no matter what the character, no matter, like, how hard he's going, he is not for a minute, even in the sort of, like, winking ironic sense like backing down from that like Ronnie is a ridiculous character and the fact that he is as like hyper intense and arch and um like really in it all the time it like makes him understandable it's i don't know man it's like he breaks through the opposite side of the ridiculousness boundary right like he reaches this event horizon where like um he's so over the top that he becomes human again, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, and and now you're there with him. And just like, he sort of like brings you along just like he brought Loretta along. What, um, what is the point for you at which he is back? Is it the, um, you know, love isn't meant to, uh, like the, after the opera scene? Uh, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think that like, 
I think that I'm I'm totally on board uh, by the time he and Loretta are making out. Like I think that mm. like um, that that absurd first speech, which is so good and so ridiculous, and then followed by Loretta. Like you can you can feel the gear start to turn. And he's a character who you pointed out. Like he really goes through his arc quickly because he ultimately in the second and third acts of this movie basically becomes the like harbinger of the themes of this movie inescapably right like he's the character who is making problems for loretta and forcing her to confront her own feelings right so like by the time they're at the opera by the time um he's giving his speech about how love isn't perfect which is the best speech about amore in film history thank you um he's already he's already done in my mind the progression that he needed to have Mm -hmm. right um and I think that, like, I think it's really important that he is such a stark contrast to Loretta from that very first scene where, like, you would you would forgive somebody like, yes, Loretta's a little silly. She's got her uh, neuroticy or her neuroticism. She's got um, her superstitions. But, like, you would be forgiven for thinking that this is a different movie. If you like had just turned on the TV, it's like, wait, what the hell's going on now? Nicholas Cage is here and he's doing this. And so like, I think that that shock to the system, uh, like is perfect for the character and his arc. And I think that like, that's why it works so well for me. Right. Is like, that's how it brings me in. Is that like, we needed that. We needed that shock to the system and we needed Nick Cage, uh, talking about where's my bride, where's my hand, um, to get us there. Totally. And I think, I mean, you led with it, um, I think pretty perfectly here when you said it was um, uh, an earnest commitment to absurdity that, I mean, anybody who's seen Nick Cage in any movie, like knows that that's probably the most memorable thing about him. That's his legacy. That's what people respond to. And like, I, 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 I'm probably going to be more so talking just about the character Ronnie and like, and Nick Cage will, you know, this is how he fills, uh, fills in those spaces because I mean, uh, Ronnie is such, he's, he's his own rudder, right. For his own kind of like, I don't know if it's a sinking ship, but it is just kind of like chugging along held together by like duct tape and, you know, shoddily put together as he says, fake wood, um, which was, uh, which I I thought was kind of funny uh, (laughs) after taking a few words. It's so funny. Like, why is it, why is the wood fake? (laughs) Why does it even mean? My headcanon is that it's like a plastic, like a plastic glove that the hospital would give you, but he's just put on like the tape that you see on old seventies walls <laughs> onto it to make it look like, like, like wood. That's I mean, gotta be what it. it is. Yeah. So yeah. I, and it, his, his ship is held together with, with all this garbage. Um, he's the ship's, you know, steering wheel, it's rudder, it's captain. Um, and Loretta comes in, Loretta challenges him and defines him. And by defining him, she makes uh, like everything is a little less scary. Like the the misery is not so much misery as it is as much it is just like this is his life, and like somebody else, uh, you know, somebody like Loretta challenging him. You know, something that the Chrissies of the world never really did. They sort of submitted and accepted. You know, uh, like okay, yeah, like that is your misery, and like that sucks to be you instead of. Um, you know, like recontextualizing it and on the surface. Yeah. I mean, maybe calling him a a wolf with, you know, who's down a foot is maybe not the most comforting thing, but like giving it an identity, giving it a face is inherently better than just saying like, your life is going to suck because you're a couple fingers short and you lost what you thought was your first love. And so she comes in, she, 
like I said, challenges him, defines him. She woos him with bloody steak and dry spaghetti. And like, that's, I mean, you can see the sort of gears in his head turning. And it is that sort of like, because somebody like Cage can wear all that so visibly. Um, and, and like, we can see him doing the calculus of like, oh, ding, ding, ding. Like life is so much better now that she's here. And now that I have this new outlook, it's the same outlook. It's just like contextualized differently. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm kind of with Harry in that, like by that point, like that's not to like um, devalue his arc, but like as far as like the strides he needs to make, the rest of the movie is more or less him kind of bringing Loretta on board. It's like, Hey, like I'm in a Spider-Man costume and you're in a Spider-Man costume and I'm pointing at you. Like we're actually, we're actually the same. Like you like uh, do your part. Like I'll, I'll get you there. We're in love. You, you big dumb idiot. And I, I think, you know, does cage pull off the best pseudo Italian accent? No, but he does everything else. This character needs to do um, for us to, to believe in, in his journey. And, uh, and I believe in his journey. I, I think he's, he's killer in this movie. He's a first generation Italian American. Don't don't uh it's it's more Brooklyn than than Italy. But, if anything it's um, amore, but if anything That's amore. I love that we've sort of come to this point with his character where we're saying this is the impact that he has on Loretta, that he has on, you know, sort of like the audience. But I think it goes way beyond that. I think because his arc is able to like, I won't say finish, but like you sort of know where his character is going has ended up. I guess for Harry, it happened even when they're making out in his like second scene. For me, it was definitely the uh, post opera scene where he's like he's espousing his philosophy, basically. But that to me is. And I know it's it's classic for a reason, and I'm just going to give my reason for why I think it's classic, is that like that whole thing, like it's a great exegesis of his thoughts, but it's about how like um, love itself, like real love, not the love that Loretta was going to marry Johnny for, but the love that she ends up marrying Ronnie for is like it's incompatible with the way most people have to live their lives, you know, under base. And this is the most joker shit I'm ever going to say, but like under society essentially is like, I mean all of the concern, there's a distinct stylistic difference between scenes that are shot at night in this movie and day day is when people are yes, doing things. It's when they're struck, right? Right. When they're, when they're, when they have to be humans um, and like at nighttime, they can be in love. They can be like just bodies crashing through the night. Uh, and like with, the idea like his his monologue in that scene is like that it's incompatible with uh, social structures the building blocks of culture and like isn't that great is his uh, is his like endpoint is isn't that wonderful isn't it something like when everything else and i am again reading from a scripted note because i had to map this out or else i would have forgotten when everything else in the world is aligned with some kind of social norm doesn't that make that love, not the love that she was going to marry Johnny for, but the love that she's going to marry Ronnie for like that, not the love that considers whether it's affordable or sensible or proper or whatever, but that real love, doesn't that make it like an, an act of like radical rebellion to even feel that, to accept that, to like want that. And that's his character to me is like, Oh, if he had the same pace of an arc as Loretta had, and she is our main character, then it would not have, I don't think that would have hit. I think it would have felt like, why is he coming to this epiphany? Uh, at the same time, she's coming to an epiphany about what she needs to have. Like he has, he, this is part of him. Like this is like his end of the spectrum. He's still pulling from that. Like you said, Cody, like he can still feel the way that he feels, but it's recontextualized through his love for Loretta. Um, so like it's pulling from that same well, the same, like what we know as his character, just like, oh, filtered through now he understands because Loretta has shown him sort of thing. Well, and that was really brilliantly characterized, Jason. Thank you. Um, and it kind of, I, 
I'm thinking through his arc now in a way that I don't know that I ever have before, which is that like, I, I was going to make the point that like he, he does transform just as much as Loretta does. And I think mm. he does even at just as soon as they're making out, but also like, it's worth noting that like he buries the hatchet with his brother. That was his thing. He comes back into the world. Like if we're contrasting the day and the night, um, he was living in the night world, right? He was, he was so, um, unwilling to give up the love that he had, the dream that he had, that even though it was never going to happen, he was going to live in it uh, to the expense of, at the expense oh, of everything else. All of it, right? Like he's down, he even, that's what his first speech is about. He's down yeah. there in that, uh, in the um, bakery, he's shoveling stinking dough into this hole in the Man, wall. If I, if, I, if I can pause for a second, yeah. his introductory scene being his like sweaty, muscly back and Dude, like mouse oh of my brown God. hair, like, it's the horniest thing I've ever Nick seen Cage him do. Nick was like 25 years old when it's this movie was made incredible. and he's fucking feral in it. Like his <laughs> hair is bursting out of his like, you can see his fucking like armpit hair in every scene basically and like, it's oh so my God, does he look good. Yeah, he looks anyway, amazing. In but he's it. down there in the night world. But yeah, and like, but he, but Loretta brings him into the day, right? Like, I really think that that they have that parallel existence where like Loretta was living in the quote unquote day world as we're characterizing it. She was avoiding her real self, her real emotions. And uh, like Nick Cage's character, Ronnie, he was refusing to step out into the day and actually move on with his life because he he needed that emotion. And, and she shows him like, you can find that in the world. Like that doesn't have to just be this sort of like, uh, his motorbiker island esque single moment of perfect self actualization, which is what I love so much about that movie. Mm-hmm. But like, even though it's going to ebb and uh, wane, it, it like even though you're never going to always feel the way that you feel when you're at the opera with your loved one, that doesn't mean your life is built on nothing, right? Like Cosmo and his wife Rose still have that. Everybody still has that. It's something mm-hmm. that you can build together, right? Um, and I, I think that that's where the arc of the sort of family and the relationships that we see play out in this movie meets the moonstruck sort of like gaga, wild-eyed um, amore in this movie. I was fucking ready for that one. Hell yeah. And I like I think that's where they meet, and I think that that's so important to understanding this. I agree. That's such a fucking good way to put it. I, I love that just having seen this movie enough gives us like – gives us perspective you know not that we have any you know super critical takes that nobody else has ever had but i really love where we've ended up with this um are there any final thoughts we want to have or anything we didn't really get to uh i know we didn't talk as much about um rose and john mahoney uh perry perry the professor yeah i think that's that's semi-appropriate right like it's a small sort of very subplot it's a it's a definitely a foil um what i really love about that scene is that I think that this makes it, it makes it such a more mature movie. I mean, this movie was already about coming to terms with things and grappling with the pain of love. But what I really love is that like, um, Rose's character and, and the love that she has that she's built in her life. By the end of that scene, they are telling you it is no less powerful and no less, um, real than, um, the moonstruck love that we see play out between Ronnie and, um, uh, Loretta, right? And like that's that's maybe the, if we're characterizing it this way, still like the the daytime love, right? Mm-hmm. That she has, but she's just like I know who I am. Like I've built my life. My life is real to me, and committing to it is not something that makes me 
um, sad. I'm not afraid to die in it, right? The way that maybe my husband is or thinks he is. Um, and I, it's that is very beautiful and very moving, that scene. Um, and then also uh, John Mahoney in it is like, absolutely otherworldly charming like the dude is like like a 19 year old yeah he's got this boyish boyishness to him that they really play up and it makes him like he is he you just like he turns you to like butter like that guy i just like he melts me yes like uh like butter over a a good warm pasta um i feel like they yeah, I was I was gonna clumsily I was gonna clumsily lead it in. I'm glad you just played it uh, because that was infinitely <laughs> better. Um, yeah, I I don't have a lot to say about um, that that sort of subplot that hasn't already been uh, already been said. Other than I agree, the inclusion of it makes it feel like a more um, I guess mature work uh, as a whole. Otherwise, um, especially kind of tying in, I, I believe it was Cosmo who originally said and i think the first act you know everything is temporary that you know that doesn't that doesn't excuse it it being i I think him sort of wrestling um loretta's new engagement and the sort of um the uh, seeing you know uh the men's perspective of yeah realizing that yeah we're uh, everything is temporary and i'm going to go cheat on my wife in this particular scenario uh for for rose to kind of embody the other side of that and have the maturity to point and say like everything is temporary that doesn't mean we need to to fear death in the way that that cosmo is um you know a, mm-hmm. a life is is made up of much more than just this fear this particular fear and and reacting to it and like with enough um I don't know with enough like soulfulness. I think it plays as a really nice um, corollary or complement to Loretta's um, story in, in the main arc. So yeah, I, I, I like it quite a bit. Yeah. Just as a quick comment, I hadn't really thought about this before, but uh, the relationship, like the, the floozy that um, Cosmo finds himself with, he clearly doesn't love her. Like he's ignoring her most of the time. He buys her trinkets and stuff uh, and doesn't really like pay attention to her. He, she has to prod him to say that she, that he likes her dress at the, at the opera and stuff. And that to me is like why, and I'm just realizing this now is why the uh, Perry, the professor subplot as, as mirror to his yep. infidelities is so important is because like, Oh, Rose is able to walk away after a kiss on the cheek, having gotten exactly what she was hoping for from that night. Uh, and realize like, I, I think one of her lines is even like, I know myself, like, I, no, you can't come in. I'm not going to go to your part. Cause I know myself. I am like, not in, I'm married infidelity. and I know who I am. Exactly. She says. And, you know, in the knowledge that her husband is being unfaithful to her, she can still have that like wherewithal. She still knows that the man like that very it seems like they've already had the moonstruck love moment in the past. Maybe is like they she know invented she, it, right. It's Cosmo's moon. Exactly. She knows that she loves him. He doesn't weirdly has lost his lost that love and feeling as Daryl Hall and John Oates once said, like he doesn't realize that he doesn't love this woman. And that means that he shouldn't be spent like the limited time he has on earth does not mean that he should spend time with the woman that he thinks like somebody else, because he's sort of lost the loving feeling. It's like, you should spend more time with the woman you do have. They're, they're really fun. Like you said, it's a foil, but it's a really fun and effective one when you think about it. Well, and, and Perry himself is a, is a foil for Cosmo. Uh, We don't really Mm -hmm. get to see any of Cosmo's interiority, but the absolutely brilliant speech that, um, Perry gives where he talks about how when he sees himself in the eyes of a young student and sees this brilliant, spontaneous version of himself that um, he maybe once was and now will never be again, that's what he's chasing. Um, 
you know, it's not an accident that like in the Cosmo scene when he's dating um his uh paramour his mistress she says mm-hmm. you have such a head for knowing things it's like you know everything and he's literally just reciting the plumbing speech that he <laughs> gives every day to her right <laughs> but it's like he wants somebody who is amazed by him for his ego right and he thinks that because that he now lives in a world where nobody is impressed with him in that way anymore uh where he is not capable of feeling or manifesting or demonstrating the capacity of feeling that he once had, it means his life is built on nothing, right? And that is the thing that that Olympia Dukakis's character, Rose, has to remind him is that like you were mistaken about what your life was built on, but it's actually built on something better, right? It's built on this love that we built together instead of this sort of mistaken apprehension about yourself as this sort of like wonderful person. Um, and I, I think that like, that's, that is really important, right? Like that is the death that men fear in this movie is this idea that like, they aren't actually the people they thought they were. And so like, there is a, there's a self-loathing that, that drives him into the arms of that other woman. Not that I'm excusing, uh, Cosmo, but I think that's just what the, um, the movie's suggesting. Right. And the story needs that, you know, like we've been saying, it's sort of an, an essential, um, Nice. Uh, that was the end of my notes. I don't mean to close the door here, but are there any other final thoughts before we uh, start wrapping up and head to the end of the end segment? Uh, how funny is it that um, that Johnny's mom recovers? It's so <laughs> funny to me. And he just comes in there and he's like, no, she's fine. And now we can't get married because somehow that will screw up our wedding. I like that weird. It's not surrealism, but it's just like these magical coincidence type things that happen throughout the movie. The, the like literally Cher is not made up in that scene or sorry. She's not like, she does not make herself up, but then in the moonlight, she's very clearly made up. She's got the perm. She's got all black hair. She's got makeup and stuff on that. Like supernaturality is what makes this movie really, really like charming. It's something like I would show almost anybody in the world. Cause they can at least smile at that you know and that's one of those moments uh is like when it's when it's strongest is like this this actually couldn't happen but i'm just gonna let it slide um cool yeah i the only thing i've got left to say i guess is that um this was written by john patrick shanley um he's had a really interesting and weird career um he was a playwright this was actually his first screenwriting credit he's uh he's written some really bad movies um he like for instance his most recent movie is wild mountain time which is uh a wild movie about a well i shouldn't spoil it but it is very and almost kind of similar to this movie in some ways in that like it's trying to do a sort of absurd magical realist thing uh and it does not pull it off um he Mm. also wrote uh like joe versus the volcano we're back uh, Congo, and then wildly doubt in 2008, <laughs> a Whoa. movie that is very good and very different from <laughs> perhaps the rest of his filmography. Um, but that is just to say, uh, whatever his sort of like talents or, or maybe he has trouble always squaring the circle. I think that this is like one of my favorite scripts of all time. Um, we brought up like the, Nick Cage's first monologue, his most famous monologue about how painful love is, the Perry monologue, uh, the last scene. Like, I just think, like, man, pound for pound, this is like one of the best scripts ever written uh, for like film. Uh, mm-hmm. So, shout outs to John Pac- Patrick Shanley. Um, I hope your next movie is better than Wild Mountain Time. 
I hope so too. Uh, I do too. Yeah. Uh, Doubt I, is an incredible movie. I, I'll just a- add to that. Um, and honestly, Joe versus the volcano, the, the parts of it that are more, uh, the, the best parts of it are, are really, really good. Um, it, it's a movie that I watched um, during quarantine for the first time. Uh, and I've been kicking it around my head every, every so often. I mean, look, Tom Hanks and, uh, and, and Meg Ryan in, uh, Can't go wrong. in at least one, if not uh, a couple of roles, um, just, uh, grapes on the vine there for you. Um, feel free to pluck those off, give that a watch. Um, but yeah, I, a, a wild filmography, um, as you said. Yeah. yeah, he also directed both Doubt and Wild Mountain Time. The dude who directed Doubt directed Wild Mountain Time. <sighs> he's, a, he's a wild man. I, you know, I, I respect it. Uh, maybe when we go through the John Patrick Shanley filmography, um, things that he's written or directed or both, maybe we can call that uh, the Amorantine watch. Amorantine. Man, Thank if, you so much, if only that's what the noties were about. That is... A, a, a really juicy idea um john again we know you're listening play a john patrick shanley theme we'd we'd love to to watch wild mountain time and the, the i watched other stuff. we're back a dinosaur story like 200 times when i was like four years old oh yeah uh, that's a very scary movie by the way At i the remember end, being dude haunted by, by crows <laughs> it's wild that's like the george miller shit of from babe pig in this i've still never seen the one that he directed but apparently it's really dark oh, it's uh, pig in the city to- is it this? Is that number yeah. two? Yep. Yeah, babe, yep. two pig in the city. Apparently, it gets pretty weird. Anyway, <laughs> I just, I sorry, I just love saying the name of that movie so much. It's like you couldn't choose a funnier like parody title. It's like, oh yeah, you know, babe, and its sequel, Babe Two, Pig in the City. <laughs> Ooh, it's good. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, okay, we have one last segment to the show, um, and our. Lead-in is going to be led by none other than our own Harry Mackin. Why, thank you, Jason. This is the segment that we like to call... <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties! Dang, fellas. Great introduction. Way to get that bread. Um, first thing I'll say is uh, the only other that I just thought of now, the only other elite number one slot Babe sequel title would be Babe 2 Electric Pigaloo. Um, I'll take my royalties. <laughs> Uh, by check, if you would please. Thank you. Um, and any, uh, moving on, uh, fellas, it's summer, and you know what that means. It's time what? to time to write, time to scour the neighborhood for some great deals. What I'm saying is, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's a garage sale. That's, that's freaking right. Um, so let me just let me let me set the scene here in a, in an unprecedented move. Jason uh, Jason Daphnis at Nintendoofus has taken the rest of the fellas with him on one of his garage sale wanderings, one of his infamous wanderings. Uh, eventually, we find ourselves uh, at a modest but vibrant estate sale. We, you know, we poke around and we we stumble upon this shabby looking cardboard box in the corner. Of the, uh, of the garage with what appear to be some 4K discs inside. And on the box, <laughs> uh, on the box is scrawled, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, it's a little note that reads as follows. Best of Criterion 1980s films, all high definition, must spend exactly $9 on your purchase. We all kind of collectively agree that that last statement was really specific, but we, you know, we concede and accept it and press on regardless. Uh, so in layman's terms, um, I'm just going to yank us back from that that narrative. Uh, I've pulled together titles released during the 80s that have also gotten added at some point to the Criterion Collection. 
uh, as it was alluded to earlier in the episode by Harry uh, and and or Jason. I cannot remember at this point. Uh, shout out to the fellas. They both brought this up. This comes from the fact that Moonstruck came out in 1987. And uh, hey, more importantly, I recently got a Criterion release. Um, so shout outs to that. That's how I watched this movie last night. Uh, and so with this list of titles, I've sorted them in order of letterbox popularity and assigned dollar values, uh, starting with $5 for the most popular works, $4 for the next year down and so on. I made a graphic that should help explain this better. And I'm going to throw this in the chat. That specific part is not particularly conducive to an audio format. So since this is uh, a podcast, I'll also verbally list them off as well. Ultimately, we'll, what we want to know is what you'd spend. And I already I can see the reactions of the fellows on camera. What we'd want to know, uh, want to know is what you'd spend that $9 on. Uh, perhaps you already own some of these movies in real life. For our purposes here, pretend that you don't. And so without further ado... Here are the price categories that we're working with. At the $5 tier, we've got 1987's The Princess Bride, 1984's Paris, Texas, and 1981's Blowout. At the $4 tier, we've got 1987's Wings of Desire, 1987's Moonstruck, hey, Moonstruck, and 1988's Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. At the $3 tier, we've got 1981's Thief, 1985's Tampopo, and 1983's Koyana Skatsi. At the $2 tier, we've got 1985's Police Story, 1984's Repo Man, and 1987's Broadcast News. And at the $1 tier, finally, we've got uh, 1989's The Killer, 1980's Kagemusha, and 1986's True Stories. So that is uh, the collection of titles that are in this a shitty cardboard box in somebody's garage they're all somehow uh in 4k even the out of print killer dvd uh got a 4k release i guess at some point ended up at this garage sale um it's a miracle upon miracles um I, do i need to to vamp any longer do you fellas um either have it uh figured out or want to take the time to articulate your your thoughts you're on a Mike. cruel son of a bitch nervous and uh, i really hate you yeah, this is not i'm really glad that was fun. the reaction i wanted to make it as difficult as possible <laughs> god damn it <laughs> oh, I, honestly brutal. for as bad for as bad as i feel about this i imagine harry has to be in absolute hell right now <laughs> yeah it's agonizing uh for sure um yeah especially like I just saw Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown this year for the first time. Um, and I fucking love that movie. Yep. So putting it like right next to Moonstruck, I'm like, oh, um, <laughs> man. I, I mean, I'm, I think I'm ready. And I, okay. it's a boring answer. And I, it, it makes me feel like a terrible person. I think I like, might know what you go with. But uh, please yeah, continue. It's going to be. It's going to be Paris, Texas, and Moonstruck, right? Like, I'm sorry. That's, they're just like my, they're in my top three, I think. Both of those movies are. Um, yeah. I mean, I could, I could do a whole nother $9 set here. Uh, True Stories, The Killer, Broadcast News, Police Story, Tampopo. Um, wait, was that nine? I don't even know if that was $9. Let's see. Yeah. yeah. Um, that would be a really good one, too. Uh, leaving Repo Man behind in, in both my backup and my initial uh, absolutely kills me inside for sure. Um, I love Thief so much. I love Women on the Merge of a break, Nervous Breakdown so much. Um, I've seen Princess Bride enough to probably quote it start to finish, so I think I'm okay leaving that one behind. Hmm. Um, there's not a single bad movie here, fellas. That's right. Yeah, um, you, you really did. You really did fuck it up. Um, it's brutal. Is it weird to think that maybe the weak link is is, oh, no. You're going to get no. somebody on Twitter mad no matter what you say. So I, I yeah, think what you were you going to say? It. I was going to say that the weak link is. That's a 
<laughs> I don't I don't know about that. Uh gotcha. that is certainly uh, my, that's a take. That is my a take. earnest. Yeah, I mean, I again, maybe we can never maybe maybe once we launch a Patreon, I'll uh, publish the episode that has that on 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 Amoraid. Just remember, um, Jason, whatever you pick, you're going to die someday just like everybody else. That's <laughs> my my earnest and actual picks and you know how when you look at like we listen to music or you watch a movie, you're like gut reaction. My heart of hearts says this like estimation of its quality, this percentage, this number of hearts, this like star count. But then you think about it more and you can like logically construct a reason that it's good or whatever. And you start to have it, you change your own opinion. Yes. I'm not going to do that. I am going to pull like, like somebody's running at me with a knife and I have a bow and arrow. I just got to let it go. I just got to like, I got to make it happen. Right. My go, my picks are going to be Tempopo, Police Story, and Moonstruck. This is the essence of Jason. We have wow. $3 for Tempopo, $2 for Police Story, which feels undervalued. I'm not insinuating anything, Cody, but uh, your rating scale might be a little bit fucked up. No, I think his his rating skill is designed to be evil, I yes. think. Because, because like, you have temptation. Putting broadcast news at $2 is fucking like that's a <laughs> knife twist because like that movie's so good. <laughs> yeah, I. But you're already at eight dollars, Harry. What? What I? I okay, li, pulling pulling back the heavy ironclad padlocked thrice fold <laughs> curtain. I went through the. I I sorted the list of all Criterion films by release year. Went through the eighties. Uh, plucked some names. Oh wow, that'd be fun to include in this game. That's my impression. Of myself. <laughs> oh wow, that'd be fun to include in the garage sale. Uh, oh, that's a garage movie. sale. Um, and, uh, and then I whittle, whittle them down to, to, to 15, um, perhaps a little more than 15. There's, uh, uh, something that we can tag onto the end of this, but then I threw them in a letterbox list sorted by letterbox popularity and however the chips fell, that's, that's how they fell. Um, wow. so it, 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 but it, it is it, largely my fault. You're correct to be bad at me. Well, yes, it's, it's human, but honestly for like where the positions are, the movies that you chose and like the positioning of them, I would have thought you would have like poked into each of these and yes. said what's jason's rating for that did he give that a four or more what's harry's rating for that is that a five because like i know that you know colloquially that like moonstruck is one of harry's favorites and we all love police story and stuff but like some of these feel specifically like fuck you jabs like i'm already <laughs> oh, bleeding yeah, out and you're man. just gonna keep stabbing 100 exactly yeah. a little bit oh um, yeah well and, and what's so good about this too is it really illustrates like you were saying um jason how uh like there is a real difference between how good you think a movie is and how you feel about a movie, right? Like, I think that I, what I'm discovering here is that, like, I think Blowout and Wings of Desire, um, and honestly, maybe even Thief and certainly Kage Musha, those are all amazing movies, like, yes. maybe like pretty perfect movies. But, like, I think I admire them more than they, like, make me feel big mm-hmm. things, right? Like, I, I think that, like, if, if, gun to my head, like I could go without seeing Wings of Desire again. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's a sure. great movie. I'm sure I'll see it again and how I'll does, like it a lot. But... How does how does Kelly feel about that? Because that's the only one of these movies that has Nick uh Cave in it. So that is true. Yeah. She probably might... would uh, maybe she would pick that one. I don't know actually what she would mm. pick from among these. Or like Koyana Scotzi's a good example too, right? It's like Koyana Scotzi, it rocks, but like yeah, I don't need to like see it at again and that necessarily that is admittedly um i mean that's what i was wrestling with and as far as my pickies um that is sort of what i prioritized as well is like Mm. how likely am i to i mean spoilers i i i well first i imagine these are all movies that i like to very 
highly love and cherish, um, depending on which titles they are. I will watch all of them again more than likely before I die. Mm. Most of them I either own on physical media or will own <laughs> at some point in the future. Um, so yeah, prioritizing rewatchability and like uh, how much do I want to rewatch these titles and kind of doing the mental calculus of that in the moment. And actually... I went through two, I landed on two different permutations, one yesterday and then one this morning. And each of you called out one of them. Um, so my first, my first draft of this was Tampopo police story, broadcast news, the killer, the true stories, which I believe Harry, you like, after you gave your picks, you kind of busted out those five. Just like, yeah, you know, I mean, that's a really shit. good lineup. It's a good, yeah, it's a good lineup. It would, uh, you know, it casts a bit of a wider net, um, get some of those quote unquote bottom feeders. But ultimately the set I went with was the same that Jason went with moonstruck Tampopo oh. police story uh ver- verbatim verbatim the sames uh i, I tank <laughs> i had a feeling that was coming <laughs> tempopo is is an all-timer for me um police yeah. story is is a police story and hey police story two are ones that have been on the fellas uh fellas watch list for some time now winkity winkity and then moonstruck is just i i know i'm gonna love that movie more and more and not this is me you know we're on the episode i, I would feel like a heel to not yeah. include it i would absolutely miss moonstruck like from my life if i yeah if i didn't if i couldn't watch like i would i would notice a hole missing from my heart kind of thing yeah what a what a magical young what a magical little movie and what a magical little segment we got at the end here and we, yes thank is you is it Bobby. not done there is there is sort of a ps and this is me this is me being uh a a, a a bit of a little shit um because in that set of movies that we had we including including this episode we're recording right now there are seven previous episodes and this was me being mm. like ah in the the li- oh in the list that i found oh the, what are some other ones that we can include in the garage sale game um that's the last <laughs> your cody impression just gets better and better yeah more and more accurate um so i i included uh, another maybe ones that could be perhaps considered a, a step down kind of gauging from from how the fellas feel about about them but i'll, I'll slide back into the narrative um for a second and i'll say um oh oh but what's this an even smaller text on the, the shitty cardboard box, reads the following. As a reward for making it this far, choose one additional movie free of charge. These are all previous Try Love episodes. So whoever runs the garage sale is is a fan of the pod, which is really great. Um, shout outs to that person. Um, so I ask, which one of the following five bonus films are y'all picking up? And I, I think this one will be a little bit more clear cut, not to like, you know, lead the witness too much, but we've got- Jason's going to do Terms of Endearment, right? Uh, <laughs> not, a, not a Criterion release. That one can be excluded. Oh, um, I gotcha. Uh, and I- it kind of goes it goes without saying hopefully but you know at this point i some of these only come in box sets but for the for the sake of this dumb little game uh i ignored that uh criteria the criteria <laughs> collection um <laughs> so we've got 1988's as tears go by 1980s elephant man <laughs> 1988's police story 2 1981's time bandits and 1983's videodrome which I more or less oh. threw on there because we did see crimes of uh, crimes of the future the other night. Um, so which one of those are you getting? It's it's free, right? It doesn't doesn't cost a thing other than the space in your in your your backpack. So which one of those are y'all taking home? Just as a, as a reward for spending money already, you're literally losing money by not picking up one of these movies for free. Yeah, yeah. I'm literally 
passing up opportunity to profit. That's capitalismo. I mean, I, I hate to be boring because I think we're all going to pick the same one if I pick the one that I'm going to pick. But like the park sequence in Police Story 2 is like one of the best fighting sequences ever filmed. You make uh, a point. And I'm going to get that one. I like it. Listen, I, my number two would probably be Elephant Man, I guess. Elephant Man's a very good movie, but like Elephant Man never fights people with like park equipment and that would probably be very difficult for him <laughs> i guess he, he is technically he does there is oh god dark joke sorry there is a fight sequence in elephant man <laughs> at the, to, near what? the end of that film thanks i hate it uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh, i'm gonna bring it back to to the amore um as tears go by i feel like i didn't have enough rep Wow. From from that movie yet uh, in this discussion. So there's a lot of by. people threatening to shoot off each other's dicks in that movie. Yeah, it's which awesome. is extremely good. <laughs> there's fighting in this movie too. Yeah, Harry. Yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say, by setting up this question, I'll be brief. Um, by setting up this question and re- holding up a mirror, casting it back myself, I essentially asked, do I want another J- uh, Jackie Chan film, including, as Harry said, one of the best uh, fighting choreographed sequences never mm-hmm. captured on film, or do I want a film co-starring Maggie Chung? And I, uh, fellas, it is Thank still you for- checking my watch. Uh, so in some time zone, it is still Year of the Simp, and I'm going with as tears go by. Um, and that is how I Queen of the Trilon nominee Maggie Chung, folks. The winner in we'll we'll retcon that someday won't we um winner in our hearts and you know what you feel in your heart you You don't get to say that jason amore you feel amore (laughs) uh yeah no thank you for putting a fine point on it uh cody that i wanted to say like oh i I needed some one car i needed like i needed to bring the the artistic angle to my pick no it's it's the it's the chung it's the phone booth scene uh that is not um that's not the movie where um they're, they become one minute lovers, right? That's Days of Being Wild. Uh, is that day? Yes. yes, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, Days of Being Wild is much much better than <laughs> Tears Go By. If, oh, it, I, I, if I Days agree. of Being Wild was on there, I would have been in yes. trouble. Uh, well, that's it's, it's, it's me and Aaron. Me and Aaron are like the Dobby stands, right? I feel like the rest of everybody was like, eh, "It's not the best one, Karwai." So, we were like, so "Yeah, I, we got, I, we got good." Movie. But yeah, I don't know if Days of Being Wild was was great. I mean, it's either your team Days of Being Wild or, or team. Uh, uh, in the mood yeah yeah 2046 baby oh unsung masterpiece a superior film to days of being wild (laughs) i I wonder how you're gonna feel if i if i know you in 40 years i'm gonna ask you how you feel about that opinion because we'll see i will have lived it by then but yes please please ask me regardless oh uh thank you cody for ending our episodes on a fun note every time uh making them a little bit more fun than they already even were uh and thank you very much listener for listening again you can catch uh many more nick cage films on this podcast and at the trilon cinema you can find them at trilon cinema or at trilon.org this podcast is called try love the the try love try love uh you can find it on that's Twitter a try at try love pot that's 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 a try love um oh i forgot i didn't even scroll over uh it's pride month and uh dean martin has a very special message for everybody thank you so much for everybody everybody for joining for this episode of the podcast find us on twitter try love podcast uh and check out geez i'm not even gonna read them all off there are 12 more 
Nick Cage films playing at the Trilon after this. Uh, we'll probably have some episodes on them. Uh, we've got a few people who have called guest spots, but even if we don't have guests, we'll try to make as many as we can. And hey, if you are in Minneapolis, be there because you can punch cards and get a big poster at the end. If you see all 13 of them, uh, as many of us will try to do as much of that as possible. Um, and you might see us there. For right now, thank you very much for listening. This has been our episode about Moonstruck. Uh, with the full cast, nobody's missing from this episode. And my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find us on find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. My other answer for that, yeah, sorry, Harry, I, I come next unless you, you want to. Yep. Nope. I don't know why I always do this, but please go ahead. I wasn't going to say anything. I thought He's I got away with it. But... He's moonstruck. That's a J Cha. Um, <clears throat> if I, if I wanted to play this game, the Aaron way, I would say I, I will spend $7 uh, on one Aaron Grossman. And then the remaining $2, I'll get uh, a couple of beers, one for him, one for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, shout outs to that fine fella. I'll tweet out the, I'll, I'll try to remember to tweet out the, the, the <laughs> incredibly not fancy image of the, the, the price scale for that's a garage sale um if you're listening to the episode and you don't see a tweet from either me or trilove with that image feel free to to tweet at us and everybody wins right with that you know it'll get the image posted faster and it heightens our engagement so that more people uh follow us um <laughs> wow rate and subscribe <laughs> yeah rate subscribe uh the patreon trilove shop all that good stuff i've been cody narvison you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh Hey, speaking of Aaron and beers, uh, he was on a flight yesterday going on out to um, to Greece, as we talked about before, and um, he bought a Blue Moon for, quote, market price, unquote, <laughs> on the plane, which, the first of all, what mean? does that mean? What does it mean for Blue Moon to be market? But also, it was like $15. He bought like a $15 Blue Moon at market price on a plane, so shout outs to that. Oh, that on your Blue Moon Stroke. <laughs> Uh, but yes, I've been Harry Bank, and you can find me on Twitter at Shitaki Harry. Thank you. That's Amore. Goodbye. Uh, I can't not end this with at least an attempt on the accent. Um, it's probably not going to be great, but hey, that's Amore. I put a curse on that plane. My sister is on that plane. I put a curse on that plane that it's going to explode, burn on fire, and fall into the sea. Fifty years ago, she stole a man from me. Saprese el mio humo. Today, she tells me that she never loved him, that she took him to be strong on me. Now, she's going back to Sicily. Retorna in Sicilia. I cursed her that the green Atlantic water should swallow her up. Bells will ring, ting-a-ling-a-ling, ting-a-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella, Vita Bella, Vita Bella, hearts will play, tippy-tippy-tay, like a gay tarantella, lucky fella, when the stars make you drool just like pasta fuzzle, that's amore. Street with the cloud at your feet, you're in love.
when you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, Signore. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli that's amore. 